0: there
1: hi everybody it's
0: so bright in here I know today. yeah
1: I gotta dial well, down the go. brightness yeah. of the picture there a little bit so how is everybody today it's beautiful outside on this Monday and' on gorgeous day. kind of a it would almost make you think winter's over.
0: It would almost make you think that. What do you think,
1: Patty? You think it's you'd over? You'd be
0: wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: you were showing me pictures today of February snows.
0: Yes. For that we've had
1: in the past. So I, who knows?
0: One of my memories that came up today on my uh, my iPad was snow days with snow. So it had a few pictures, of course, when we've had snow over the last few years. But most of them were from Alaska or Norway. And they would have little pictures where there was snow that it detected there was snow in that yeah, picture. Yeah, there's
1: snow up there. Yep, there's there snow in snow. those hills.
0: <laughs> so Go yesterday, Go back at the right time here,
1: yeah, there'll be snow everywhere.
0: Uh, yesterday, Scott laughed at me, and I heard a few people giggling when I was praying for my boy Patrick, and it worked. It worked. <laughs> he didn't get hurt, and they won. So that was Awesome. I have to have a fallback, you know, for the Cowboys, pretty much because if I didn't, I'd be disappointed
1: every year. You would never watch a Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> so for the past, like, five years or so, little Patrick has made it much more interesting because I always feel like i got something to gain. So you're going to watch game. the Super Bowl this year? Oh, I watch it every year. And
1: who are you rooting for?
0: <laughs> Were you not listening to me? <laughs> no, it's fun. Of course, it's been great because he's almost in the Super Bowl every year. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah. made it fun. It's kind of
1: nice to pick a winning team, Yes. Up. yes. You know, so that's good. Yes. Very and good. And I
0: have to admit, it's been a little fun with the whole Taylor Swift thing. It has been. It just because is. this
1: part, this is part of you that's actually a Swifty, huh?
0: There is. I mean,
1: you did go see the movie.
0: You did too. <laughs> well, that's, I got
1: my best husband award that day.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I gave you lots of options to leave early, and you kept saying no. No, I, no this is know, fine. This is this is fine. Might have been this because she was running around in you know a leotard most of the time. <laughs> I'm
1: not sure. <laughs>
0: Maybe, I don't know. I was just but being
1: the, the good husband. You
0: were, you were. Yes. Yeah, yes. and so that that's all been just a little bit of kind of fun. So uh, here we are. We are back in numbers.
1: We sure are.
0: Any big, like, sneak preview you can give us for today of what we should be? I could, be... but I want to. Oh, okay, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah we're coming up on a, a couple of, one for short story that is pretty well known. I get asked about once in a while, and they'll be coming up to a very, really a pretty, I don't know, a famous, but a pretty well-known story, at least at the very heart of it. So we'll we'll okay. probably get to that story today, but we won't be able to finish it, because okay. it's, it's a long one.
0: Will most of us be surprised that it, com- it came from numbers, like that we know the story? We, I'm
1: surprised that anything came from numbers. Okay. <laughs> so I guess so. All right. I guess we will be.
0: Yep, yep. So who are you going to be? uh cheer it on for you know next in week, the super bowl yeah you got a bye week next week you don't have to you know why because clash at the coliseum with nascar's on nascar's
1: beginning Woo! to get revved up just yes. a little bit a little bit yeah yes. so of course the the chiefs yeah sure why not sure right? why not
0: well, probably not everyone's a Chiefs fan, and they probably wish I would stop talking yes, about the Chiefs. Yes, maybe we should move on. <laughs> so, I promise I won't be talking Dallas, about that. Dak- However,
1: in Dallas, you're not going to get many Niner fans.
0: You're not. Not you're given not. the
1: history of the Niners and the Cowboys. That's, right. That's just how it is. Your dilemma would come if the Chiefs ever really had to play the Cowboys in a significant game. Then, yes. loyalties will be tested. But, setting that aside, let's yes. pray. okay. Okay. <laughs> Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. Wow, what a beautiful day you've given us here in January. Help us to appreciate it. In fact, I think this week is supposed to be nice. So really just help us to appreciate this warmer, sunny weather. Um, You bless us in so many ways. Um, So many ways that are more important than the weather. But help us to be grateful for everything that you give us. Um, We appreciate that your spirit has called us here today. Um, and we pray to be filled with lots of energy and enthusiasm um, as we continue to make our way through this um, little red book of numbers. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Why is it called the little red book of numbers?
1: What did you call it? R-E-A-D. Oh, it's a little okay. red. I, I d-
0: thought like you were going to reach back and And, pull a, and out it was going to be like
1: in a red binding? Yeah, R-E-D? R- R- e- no, no, no. I mean, it's not red very often. Um, not preach from oh, often as
0: little red okay,
1: not too often red I'm um, not so. see, yeah I something you like meant that something yeah
0: like red block, yes
1: red. i I get oh, that now, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> okay, everybody, so we are, um, let's see, we're in chapter twenty one we're at verse four, the people are being. Well, they've been rebellious. Um, Moses was disobedient to God when God told Moses to speak to the rock and instead Moses struck the rock to, in order to get water. That was a big moment because what it means is that Moses will not enter the promised land. Aaron, Moses' brother, his mouthpiece really, is, um, has now died. So things are happening, and it's it it all represents a transition from the old to the new, because the old generation refused to enter the promised land. They refused to do what God told them to do, and in their rebelliousness, they were turned away and told that it would be the next generation, and the generation after that 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 actually was able to come to and enter the promised land. So they're in this process now of wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, it it comes at a pretty fast clip. You might think, well, it's 40 years, so it's going to be like, you know, 18 chapters long of wandering, but it's really not. It it it's it it kind of moves along and you have to kind of build in some sense of pace perhaps, but in any event, um we are now coming to uh, uh, a famous, a pretty pretty well-known story in 21.4. So this is after the defeat of the King of Arid, and they're leaving Mount Hor, H-O-R. So let me go to my slides, just to refresh our memories. This is the same picture I used last week, this supposedly Mount Hor, Um, which is in modern-day Jordan, I think it is, and the red arrow is pointing to Mount Hor on this particular map. There are a lot of maps. The map-making is all kind of difficult because we don't really know exactly where all these places were. Some we do, some we don't. But the point is, if you remember from last week, they have to skip the land. They can't go through the land of the Edomites because the king of Edom refused them, uh, the Israelites, the permission to go through his land. Even though he went, they said, we won't touch anything. We won't drink your water. We won't eat your food. We will wipe our feet before coming in and leaving. We'll we'll leave it just as, as, as we found it. But, of course, there's so many of them that I guess he didn't really trust them with that. So, they are going to leave Mount Hor uh, now and continue, and they are going to continue northwards. So, we're going to go back to me on the screen here. Verse 4, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Of course they did. They spoke against God, of course they did, and against Moses, of course they did. Have you ever encountered such a rebellious people? God foresaw all of this. God said, "These are stiff-necked people. These are rebellious people, and and this this, this is not going to go well. And in many ways, it's not going well, because here they are, rebellious yet again." And they said, in their rebelliousness, quote, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Gosh, if I had a nickel for every time they said that, I'd be a rich man. They say, There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. Oh! I mean, God provided them water just, you know. A short time ago, that's when Moses got into trouble and was disobedient to God. So, Every time they get rebellious, there are consequences to their rebelliousness. Sometimes it is a plague, sometimes it is an earthquake, sometimes it is falling into the hands of enemies. This time it's gonna be snakes. You remember Indiana Jones?
0: Gosh, yes. Right? Yes.
1: Snakes, he doesn't like snakes. He can abide almost anything but snakes. Verse 6, Then Yahweh sent venomous snakes among them, poisonous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. So there's a pattern here, and it's hard to know, as people of 2023 living in the light of Christ, what to make of all of this because the pattern is, you know, I mean, you get you the people turn rebellious and God punishes them. Right? There is there are dire consequences to their rebelliousness. I think for us today, at least for me, I'll guess I'll only speak for me, it isn't the fact that they suffer consequences for their rebelliousness. That's that's kind of That's kind of a big biblical message. You know, if you want to make a wreck of your life, ignore God. That's a good way to do it. But here it is. It is God who sends these snakes or sends the plague. And so I just, you know, uh, see here a world in which they understand that everything that happens to them is a direct consequence of God's action. The sun rising, the rain falling, snakes, plagues, whatever it might be. And I and perhaps the writer of this, and these writings were finally edited and compiled and came together about 600 years before Jesus. You know, <clears throat> Perhaps they, they saw in, in this a big word of warning, that that's what this is about. That, that's the theology here. This isn't on focused on what God might or might not do. This is focused on the fact that rebelliousness against God carries terrible consequences. And so we follow that back to where? We follow that back to Genesis chapter 3, where uh, the man and the woman do the one thing God asked them not to do, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that rebellion against God, that unwillingness to do as God instructed them led to the wreckage of their relationship with God, their relationship with each other. being cast out of the garden, bringing um, death, and quickly followed by the murder of one, one a son of theirs, murdering the other son. Much of the biblical theme is to recognize this rebelliousness, that that is the fundamental root of the problem in humanity, a rebelliousness against God. So, the snakes come, people start getting bit, they start dying, and the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against Yahweh and against you. Pray that Yahweh will take the snakes away from us. Standard pattern, is it not? It is. So Moses prayed for the people. And here's what happens. Yahweh said to Moses, make me a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who was bitten and can look at it and live. So Moses fashioned, he made a bronze snake, right? And then he put it on a pole and then they stuck it, held it up. Maybe he stuck it in the ground, maybe somebody held it, I don't know. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. All right, so then what is the story saying to us? That the rebelliousness against God brings dire consequences, yes, but God provides the rescue, God provides salvation, right? Because it's God who tells Moses to put the bronze snake on top of the pole and then the people won't die. So God provides the solution to the problem created by the people's rebelliousness.
0: Scott, Mona has a comment there. It seems the Lord's punishment came much quicker prior (laughs) to today. I am guessing it changed with the birth and death of Jesus.
1: Oh, you know, it's all... So much of that question, Mona, depends on how much you see God as running around punishing and smiting people. You know, I don't very much i I think I think most of the consequences of our rebelliousness against God, our unwillingness to listen to Jesus comes from our own decisions our our decisions carry carry the consequences. Like Terence Fretheim puts it, there's a moral fabric in God's creation. And in that moral fabric, which isn't nice and clean and pure and always logical, it's rougher and it's, like he says, he says it's more like burlap than than silk. But in it, sin carries its own consequences. And my observation in life is that is true. God doesn't need to run around smiting us, and I think that's—I think part of what these stories are about is telling this these people that when you rebel against God, the consequences are terrible. And yes, they are very immediate here and very plain to see. And in life, the consequences of our sin. Um, often play out over months and years and lifetimes. But it still goes back to our relationship or lack of relationship with God. That's why there's, that, that just has to be the reason. There's all these rebellion stories the people say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Is it really that the writer doesn't grasp that the people are saying, no, of course the writer understands the people are saying the same thing over and over and over again. The writer is saying something deeply important about the nature of humanity. What is our problem? What, it, what lies at the heart of the human problem? our rebelliousness against God. And is it a problem that we can fix? The answer right here is no. The people don't whip up some solution to the problem of the venomous snakes. God provides a solution. So look at, go ahead and put a bookmark there, and look at John chapter 3. Verse, well... Fourteen, And I will do the same thing. John. Okay. 3? John, John 3, mm-hmm. 14. So let me, let me put the context oh, here. Yeah. This is a famous chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters. I talk about it all the time. This is the chapter in John's Gospel where Nicodemus comes to see Jesus in the night and says he admits he doesn't understand what's happening and Jesus as well you know you have to be born a second time you have to be born again you see this is all new the spirit blows where it where it will but it's all new and fair and poor Nicodemus even though he's a Pharisee he doesn't get it he doesn't understand it's He's way too literal, which should say something to us about how we read our Bibles. Nicodemus is way too literal. He doesn't grasp what Jesus is telling him. And Jesus says, well, you're a teacher of the law, how can you not? Right? And so then we begin to get, um, uh, in John, some of this famous section about, about God's love. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the King James I learned as a little boy. And for John three sixteen, but in the two verses leading up to John are now going to sound familiar to you. John chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. Just as Moses. Lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be lifted up. As in what? When we talk about Jesus being lifted up, when Jesus talks about Jesus being lifted up, what do you think he means? He means being crucified. Right, the glory of God is revealed when Jesus is lifted up on that cross. That's the focus. That is the that that is the, that is the center of what what is happening with Jesus. Jesus is going to be lifted up on that cross for the whole world to see, just as the bronze snake is on top of that stick for the Israelites to see. And if and and they're going to die of their poisonous snake bites unless they look at this bronze snake that God has told them to to create and then they're going to live. So, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him.
0: Scott, my little study note Uh um, under lifted up says the Greek for lifted up also means exalted.
1: It does. But idum you would not be able to convince me that this is anything except the cross
0: okay
1: right that is it be and i say that because there is so much new testament that is focused on the cross and the and and when a person was crucified they were lifted up yes i know it can also be we you could use the same language to talk about jesus's exaltation but um that's not at the center. The center of it is Good Friday. The center of it's the cross. So, I don't know. I guess maybe I could be convinced otherwise, but, but not just on, on what the Greek word is here. Because right. it just means lifted up and Jesus will be lifted up on the cross. So, But the point is the same. As the snake is the salvation of the Israelites, because otherwise they would all die of these poisonous snake bites. So Jesus is the salvation of humankind. And just as the Israelites can gaze upon the snake and live, so the world can put their faith and trust in Jesus and enter into eternal life in Him. Right? So...
0: So right before you asked us to switch over to John three, uh-huh. Jim Adams had put a little thing there talking about the snakes and, uh-huh. and you know God sending them. Uh-huh. He said, "Isn't this country, which I think he means you know Israel uh, or the Hebrews, to the old belief that the reason for our misfortunes or punishments is because you offended God or one of the gods?"
1: You know we're yeah Jim yes yeah, so it's it's in the. Ancient world, for all peoples that I'm aware of, um, they had little understanding of what you and I would call the natural causes, or chemistry, or biology, or physics. And when bad things happened, it was because you offended the gods. When good things happened, it was because the gods were pleased with you. doesn't matter whether you're an Israelite or a greek or a roman or a pagan it's the way that they the way that they made sense of the world around them and i think when you come to scripture you have to understand that it's coming from people who think that way and We need to recognize that. You could switch that off if you. Just hit that top button. I think you'll be able to turn it off there, Patty, maybe. So.
0: You know what I thought was a little interesting about this? Going back to Numbers um, 21. uh, Yeah, Numbers 21. uh, And I do realize that God is the one who gave the instruction to Moses. Moses didn't do this on his own, but... You know, we talk about one of the greatest sins for the Hebrews was the making of the golden calf. After Moses came down, they were worshiping it. It seems a little odd to me that God would instruct him to make this bronze snake that you were lifting up on a pole. And I just wonder how many of these Israelites... Um, would look at it, or Hebrew? should I call them Hebrews at this point? You he- call them,
1: sure, okay. Hebrews. Hebrews. Or Israelites. Would Either, he, he, looking up both, the... Both words of work, because we're long past the story of Jacob, which is okay. where the name Israel right. comes from.
0: Okay, great. So you would think, though, that some of these unbelieving people, um, because they are unbelieving, they're constantly...
1: Unbelieving, these rebellious people, rebellious yes. Rebellious
0: people that they're going to look up at the snake and think the snake is what has cured them.
1: You are spot on, Patty. Okay. That is just, an excellent point because what were the Israelites told not to do at the foot of Mount Sinai?
0: Have any false gods before
1: and not to make any graven Grave images. images. So, they weren't. Yes, yeah, so, so you so, are 100% right, Patty. I, I, it's I, an odd it's an odd thing, isn't yes, it? Yes,
0: it is. That I mean that came from God's own you know instruction to Moses
1: right and so the you know in Jew, in israelite art they didn't have the kinds of images and art that other cultures had around them they used a lot of geometry and so forth because they basically did not um create art that was that was grounded in graven images but here we have one of a snake
0: and i have to say one more thing yeah. <laughs> The snake is when we hear the serpent, we all visualize it's the snake that led Eve astray. So here it is, this bronze snake up on a pole, and all you have to do is look at it, and you're gonna be healed. So,
1: So what does the snake represent, perhaps, then? The okay. snake represents the people's rebelliousness. And they can see their rebelliousness right and then and, and be healed. Maybe. 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 <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, this it's is one of those this <laughs> is one of those funky little stories you yes. wish it was actually longer than it is. It,
0: it, it is because it's, it's there's not much
1: there's not much there, but I did want to bring out the connection to John chapter three, verse fourteen.
0: No, that was good. Yes
1: because it's kind of significant um and i know i've read john three and i guess i knew there was a snake on a pole (laughs) story but i didn't know much about it or certainly any context really to put it in so here we are once again uh they rebel god's gonna go on with them um And they now have this bronze snake, if they need it, to ward off the effects of venomous snakes. Wow. So, now, this next section is all just geography. It's all just movement. So, I will um, put another map up in a minute, and we'll take a look at some of it. But, let's just kind of read through it. It doesn't take long. The Israelites moved on, and they camped at Oboth. Then they set out for Moboth and camped in Ai-Abarim in the wilderness that faces Moab toward the sunrise. So, if I go to another map, one more page, I think, Scott. There we go. So you notice at the bottom of the map there's Edom, which they are not allowed to enter because the king said no. North of it is Moab, then up at the top very right top is Ammon. In between lives some people named the Amorites. So they are basically going to be making their way up the western side of the Dead Sea Valley. There is a... Um, there are two tectonic plates... That meet right in this area, and create this rift. It's called Rift. This this geologic rift here, and it is where the Jordan River to the north flows southward into the Dead Sea, and then from there, there's nothing. There's nothing coming out of the Dead Sea. I'm sure there was at one time, but if you you can see really that it would have flowed on into the southern ends of the Red Sea. But that Rift Valley there is where they are and they're gonna go up the eastern side in modern day Jordan, I think that is. All right, so we'll go back to me. Yeah. Um,
0: you did have a little comment here also yeah. by Rick Wagner. Again, we're going back to the snakes because I think we find them interesting. Yeah, that's quite a story. He said, God saved the Israelites from the snake's bite, but he did not remove the snakes, kind of question mark. And do you think that was another thing where, again, they had to trust and look at the snake in order to be healed, but he kept the snakes around them? He didn't just...
1: Well, let's just think about this for a second. Hmm. Okay, so if I were going to preach a sermon on this, Rick, it would go something like this. God could wave a magic wand and take away all of the things in life that trouble us and worry us, most of which we create ourselves as, remember, humanity is a team sport, most of which we create ourselves. But that isn't how God works in this world. Even in the midst of the trouble and brokenness, God rescues us in the person of Jesus. So the snakes in that sermon would rep- would represent the brokenness of this world. And the snake on the pole would represent Jesus and God's rescue without waving a magic wand to simply, you know... Uh, eliminate all the brokenness in this world. The only time the brokenness is going to be swept away is when Jesus returns. But not now. See, what I love about these stories and you people is that y'all are all theologians, you realize, because you're, you're thinking about these stories. Isn't it a great thing? Aren't these stories intriguingly written? in a way that we want to ask these questions, mm-hmm. right? Because we're striving to know God better and striving to know ourselves better. And it's why we have scripture. And it's why you've, you're going to take, It let's just take this story. If you're going to take this story and start drawing conclusions, what do you have to do? You have to submit it to all the rest of the 66 books of the Bible. Yeah, it's called putting it, putting the story in its in, there's a local context to it in the book of Numbers, but in its canonical context, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about these questions that this story brings to our minds? So if you read this story and you say, well, listen, God's just full of wrath and poison and hatred, and any time these people do something that God doesn't like, He just smites them, runs them down, sends them a plague, burns them up, drops them into the ground, put snakes on them. If all you had were these stories, you might come to that conclusion. I get that. But you don't just have these stories, do you, to come to understand who God is. You have the rest of the Old Testament, and then you have Jesus. So every time you come to a story in the Old Testament, and you're asking yourself, would God do this? You have to change the wording. Would Jesus do this? Because Jesus is fully and completely God, and the will and the purpose of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. Athanasian Creed, they are one. So, so I've I've been training myself for a while to, when I really run into something that makes my hand smack my forehead, to catch my breath and say what. Would Jesus do this? And then I perhaps got even smarter and listened to, I think we talked about Howard the Jew in here last week, maybe. Yes. And we ask, well, not, did it happen in exactly this way? Why is it written in this way? And that's a question I can get at more easily, right? Because I don't have a time machine. But why is it written in this way? This repetitive rebellion? That I get. The fact that it's God, the fact that there are dire consequences from the rebellion, that I get. The fact that it's God who provides a solution to the problem, which is the problem is the poisonous snakes. Before that, the, the, the right the rebellion. It's God who provides a solution, which is the snake on top of the of the pole. And in Christ, Christ is the solution to it all. Okay. So, they are traveling again, my friends, in chapter 21, verse 12. From there, they moved on and camped in the Zered Valley. They set out from there and camped alongside the Arnon. The Arnon is actually a river that comes up fairly often in Scripture. So, um... If you look on this little map and you look at, if you see where the where the Amorites is, Patty? Um, I'm looking. On the right side of the map? Yes. Ammon, yes.
0: close to the top. Sure. Then the
1: red Amorites. Go down to the numbers reference yes. and look to the west. Yes. That's where the Arnon River is. Yes. Arnon River. Yep. You run into it
0: Right by the little
1: tent. Yeah, you run into it fairly often, actually, in, in the Old Testament. I think probably the New Testament, but particularly the Old Testament. They sat up from there and camped alongside the Arnon, which is in the wilderness extending into Amorite territory, just as was on the map. The Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Map goes up again. Okay, there we go find Patty said it's a little, it's right by the little tent there. Well, that's the border between the Moab, Moabites and the Amorites. Who is the most famous Moabite in the Bible? Ruth. Oh, very good, Patty. Yes, Ruth. She gets a whole biblical book written in her name. Ruth. She's a Moab she's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And she is the great grandmother of King David. Okay, just another swallow or two of coffee is all I got left.
0: <laughs> Did it perk you up? Mm-hmm. Good.
1: Yes. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so verse 14. So, that is why the book of the wars of Yahweh. Wow. Does anybody have a copy? Do you have a copy of that, mm-hmm. Patty?
0: You probably do back, back behind you on that shelf. No, shift. no, <laughs> I'm no. Joking. Yeah, you, you know would. I wish, I wish, I <laughs> wish.
1: There are a lot of people who wish they had a copy of this. There are ancient writings, including ones by the Israelites, and later the Jews that we don't have. They've simply been lost. And you, they will occasionally come up. You'll, you'll find them. There's reference reference in this book or in that book. Here it is, a book that's called the Book of the Wars of, Yah- of, of Yahweh. And we don't have it. So, that is why the Book of the Wars of Yahweh says, Zahab and Sufa and the ravines, the Arnon and the slopes of the ravines that lead to the settlement of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. I get nothing from that. Just I want you to know, no deep theological reflection on those, those two bits. From there they continued on to Beer the well where Yahweh said to Moses gather the people together and I will give them water and the Israelites sang this song because water what does water represent for these people life life yes. and salvation and water today in Israel is that mm-hmm. there is simply not enough water in that part of the world to accommodate to accommodate the populations of countries like Israel and Jordan and the rest. It's a very arid climate. Um, it's why the Dead Sea is shrinking. Um, the Israel and Jordan are simply taking too much water out of the Jordan River. And because not enough water flows anymore into the Dead Sea, it's just getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm, yeah. and You might say, well, gosh, well, that's terrible, but is that more terrible than people dying because they don't have water? I would submit, you make the moral choice. The moral choice is water. And they will figure some other things out around water, I am sure. But yeah, it's about water, baby. It's the desert. I lived in Phoenix for four years. It's about water. Spring up, oh well! Sing about it, about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank into the ground. The nobles were scepters and staffs. It is a well. Wells play a big part in the Old Testament. And even the New Testament. Wells are, of course, extremely important in places that are arid, in the desert. They they mark where things happen. Wars would be fought over them um, because without water there's no life. Verse, second part of verse 18. Then they went from the wilderness to Matana, from Matana to, to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bemoth to the valley in Moab, where the top of Pisgah overlooks the wasteland. Pisca's like you know a mount a mountain, and it overlooks a waste. There's a lot of wasteland. Let me just tell you, there is a lot of nothing in in that part of the world. So, so there's
0: wasteland and wilderness kind of interchangeable yeah. in
1: that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, like the moonscape I talk about sometimes, Patty. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just just it's just just not all the moisture from the Mediterranean has been sucked out when the clouds and systems meet that ridge that runs down the center of of Israel and on which Jerusalem sits atop. And then there's just nothing left, you know, to make it to the Jordan River Valley and in, in east of there, you know, we... When you read the Bible, you wonder sometimes what it was like 3,500 years ago, because that's how long this. These, I mean, these events are a long time ago, and there are pieces of the Old Testament that m- kind of lead us to think that the land was more fertile and more green, that there was much more to the Jordan River, much more to to the salt sea. Um, uh, and there were fertile and green valleys and stuff. Particularly like even going back to when Abraham and Lot, there's a moment where, where where Abraham tells Lot, well you choose the land you want and I'll go the other way and we'll be fine. So Lot picks what he wants. It's the fertile area south of the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah are. Why does he pick it? He picks it because obviously it looks green and fertile and. Wonderful. So, a little different than today, but a lot of things change in 3,500 years. So, they've been traveling and moving and moving and traveling and time's passing and yada yada. Verse 21, Israel sent messengers to say to um, uh, Sihon, king of the Amorites, let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside in any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. Sound familiar? Yep. Yep. What happened the other times? What did did the king say? No. No. (laughs) No. Verse 23. Unsurprisingly, Sihon would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. When he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites. So let's go back to our little map here because the Jabbok, J A B B O K, is another important river. So here you have to look past the word Amorites, past the word Ammon. And just a little bit north and west, you'll see Jabbok River. Yes. Okay? All right. Very good. But they they're not going to mess with the Ammonites, verse 24, because their border was fortified. Israel captured all the cities of the Amorites and occupied them, including Hesh- Heshbon and all its surrounding settlements, Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. This is why the poets say, Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let Sihon's city be restored, because it was destroyed by the Israelites when Sihon refused them passage. Fire went out from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the citizens of Arnon's Heights. Woe to you, Moab! You are destroyed, people of people of Camosh. He has given up his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we, Israelites, we have overthrown them. Heshbon dominion, Heshbon's dominion has been destroyed all the way to Dibon. We have demolished them as far as Nofa, which extends to Medeba.
0: <laughs> you get an award for that.
1: Yeah, not really. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I'm sure I'm butchering a lot of things here, but I don't care. You know, we get it. So the Israelites defeat this king and. His dominion was shrunk, and there were actually a lot of people who benefited from that, I guess. So, verse 31, Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. This is still in the 40 years of wandering. You get that, right? Yes. That's that's a thread that you can't lose here. They were turned back because of their own refusal to trust God, and they have now wandering, and they've been wandering and going hither and yon, and now they're here, and they're still not ready to enter the promised land that too, the, too many of that first generation are still alive. Granted, a number have fallen because of the plagues and snakes and the rest of it. Yes, but, but
0: all, the, all the young the young little boys and men they've grown up too.
1: They've grown up, yeah yeah. So verse 32. After Moses had sent spies to Jazer, the Israelites captured its surrounding settlements and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, and his old army marched out to meet them and battled at Edri. And Yahweh said to Moses, What do you think? You you can write this yourself now. Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands along with his whole army and his land. Because, you see, this is God's project. What is God's project? Let's get back in the helicopter and get back over the top of this. What is God doing in all this?
0: He's giving them the land, bringing them to the the land, right, that he promised them.
1: And what else did God promise Abraham? Abraham.
0: He was going to make, um, you know, descendants more numerous than the stars, and all families of the all earth would the be families blessed the through earth him. Be...
1: This is about the rescue of humanity, writ large, 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 large. That is the Messio Day. The mission of God is to rescue humanity, to restore creation, and and it's messy. It's messy, and oftentimes it's terrible. And the people are uncooperative and they are rebellious and there's not a hint of a reason why they are deserving of God's presence with them because they're not deserving of God's presence with them. They are merely the ones that God chose to work through. And I'm sure there are other peoples that God could have chosen and would be no more and no less a mess than these people, but these are the ones that God is working through. And so, there, this is God's project. So, yes, when they run into an army that is seeking to slaughter them, God is not going to let that happen. Or what happens to the project? It's gonna end, it's gonna fall apart. This project that will one day, centuries and centuries hence, culminate in one Jew One son of Abraham, named Jesus, named Yeshua. Mm -hmm. That's it. So God says, don't be afraid. I have delivered him into your hands, Moses, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Israelites struck him down, together with his sons, his whole army, leaving (coughs) no survivors. And they took possession of his land. It's a hard project to move forward in the time of, well, as I too often say, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, A time when life was cheap. It would take God's people a long time to really come to understand the value of human life. We could fast forward to to, to Jesus' day. And what did Romans do for big mass entertainment? Did they watch football games?
0: Nope.
1: They went to the Colosseum to watch the gladiatorial contests to see some good old fashioned human blood spilt. In large numbers often. So um I think people sometimes when they come to writings like this, they want to imagine that they can yank them out of their time. Um, But we shouldn't do that. They come from a real people and a real time. And it is a world that, blessedly, is, well, I guess I'll say in many ways, different from our own. But, anyway, okay. So that's this big story of movement. You see the blue line here? We've just been trucking all the way up the eastern side of that Rift Valley. Just all the way up there to Sihon and these other places. And now the story's gonna shift a little bit. And we're going to be introduced to a person whose name you might know, if you remember Sunday school when you were a kid. You probably were introduced to Balaam and Balaam's donkey. Well, we've arrived at the story of Balaam and Balaam's donkey. And but there's a lot to the story. That's the thing. We're we're going to start it today, but we are not going to. We couldn't finish it in one week. I don't think in in one hour and fifteen minutes. There's a lot to the story, so we will start, and I'll get as far as I can today, and there'll be some head puzzlers here and there, but that's okay. Well, chapter 22, verse 1, then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Well, I brought a fun map for this one, um, not this map which we've been looking at, but This one, that is a New Testament map. Province of Galilee, Judea. See where the red star is? That's in what was the land of Moab in Old Testament times across from Jericho. So that's roughly where they are now, if we think of it in New Testament terms. Does that make sense, honey? Yes. But we are anywhere from 12 to 1500 years before Jesus in what we're reading right now, depending on who you talk to. Verse 2, Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified, because there were so many people. Remember in, in the book of Exodus and subsequently in the book of numbers how many israelites are there a couple million it's hyperbolic certainly but it's still a big mass of people and they're terrified because there's so many of them moab was filled with dread because of the israelites who have now parked themselves right down in the middle of moab on the eastern side of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, now, Midian, Midian is a large, reasonably large empire and people on the western side of the Arabian Peninsula. So the Moabites are frightened and they are reaching out for allies. And they reach out to the south and to the west to a people called the Midianites. And the Moabites say to them, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, so locked that away, in your brain, Balak, B A L A K, is the king of Moab, sent messages to summon Balaam, B A L A A M, Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, or Pethor, near the Euphrates River in his native land. Okay, so Balaam, Pethor, where's Pethor? Pethor. It is east, east. This little map says something more than 200 miles. A source I was reading just a little bit ago said maybe, maybe like, as many as 370 miles east. We think we know what city we're talking about here, based on excavations and other writings and so forth. But it's a long way. But the king has sent word to this man... Who lives in this distant place, which is not? Of course, he's. This is the. This is three millennia ago, more than three millennia ago. How far? How long would it take you to travel? Two, three, four hundred miles. Oof. Oh,
0: I can't even imagine. Right?
1: Can't even ima- I can't even imagine across nothing. This is not on a pretty trip. <laughs> So, to Balaam. Anyway, here's the message. Balak sent. Look there in verse 5. A people who has come out of Egypt, or Israelites, they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Well, what do we know about Balaam? Nothing. We know he's from this place, and we know that we can infer from this message that he has a reputation for something, putting curses on people yeah. or blessings on people, and they work out that way. If you're, if Balaam curses you, you're doomed, man. If Balaam blesses you, oh, man, you're riding high. Do we know anything else about Balaam? No. Wow. Nothing. Zip, zero, nada. Well, the elders of Moab and Midian. So the Midianites came with the Moabites to appeal to Balak to make the trip westward to the Moabite king. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them... Um, I guess they, they they left... I mean, they left home. They left Moab. I misread that. They left Moab, and now they're heading toward Balaam. They, they left, heading eastward, taking with them the fee for divination so divination is basically speaking to the gods okay. and maybe hearing something back it's like it, it's you know like a divining rod it's other yes. things you read the entrails or whatever it might be The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination, because they're going to pay something. I guess it's gold and silver. We're not ever told, I don't think, but gold and silver. When they came to Balaam, after making that long trip, they told him what Balak had said in that previous paragraph. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer Yahweh gives me. Yahweh? That name jumps out at me. Why does that name jump out at me? Well, what does Balaam know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He lives hundreds of miles east. There's no hint he's an Israelite. How does he know anything about Yahweh, about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How how is it he speaks with God? How, 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 what? what? And do you know what the answer is? I was reading one commentary today, and he said, said, we are no closer to the answer on that question than we are to the moon falling out of the sky. We just don't have any clue exactly. How could this be with Balaam? What do you do then? Just take it for face value. If you want to construct a story, construct, construct a story. Balaam was raised an Israelite boy and was taught to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but for some reason then left. Or maybe his family did, or a grandfather, a great-grandfather. Maybe it was before the Israelites even ended up in Egypt that his family had left, but still they have remained worshipers of this particular God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we're not told any of that, so your, your guesses is... It's only as good as mine. Whatever you want to make it out to be, feel free to do it. So, Balaam says to these elders from Moab and Midian, spend the night here. I'll report back to you with the answer Yahweh gives me. So, they stayed. Verse 9. God came to Balaam and asked, well, who are these men with you? And of course, it's another instance where God would already know who the men are. So why would God have to ask Balaam? Maybe God wants to find out if Balaam's going to be truthful with God. Maybe it is simply a way that God uses to sustain a relationship, to build a relationship, right? That's how I think a lot of that works. So God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. Quote, A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, don't go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. And who has blessed these people?
0: God himself.
1: God himself. Yahweh has blessed them. He is their God. They are his people. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God tells Balaam, don't curse them just don't, you know, yeah. Let let this let this work go. So the next morning Balaam got up and he said to the Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and they told him, Balaam refused to come with us. And understand, weeks. Weeks are passing because of the distances involved here. Then Balak, who was, I think, determined and desperate feeling, sent other officials, more numerous, a larger group of them, and more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam and they said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, Zippor says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me." But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and all the gold in his palace, I I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of Yahweh my God. I mean, that's really a good answer, isn't it? It's
0: very
1: good, yes. Yeah, that's a really good answer. No, I can't. God has told me what to do. I'm not going to go against God. And then he says to him, now spend the night here so that I can find out what else Yahweh will tell me. So that night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. I'm going to read on just a little bit into this next section, and then we're going to talk about it for a minute. So, verse twenty-one: Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Okay, so look at verse twenty. What does God say? Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So God says, go. And then what do we get in verse 21? He goes. And what do we get in verse 22? That God was very angry because he went. So what do you make of that? my friends. What do you make of that? My, oh my. Hard to know. It's kind of hard to put together, isn't it, Patty?
0: Was he, was, you know, Balaam misunderstanding what God said to him?
1: It's kind of in black and white.
0: Yeah.
1: What, what gives? Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? So I will share with you something I learned in the course of prepping this <clears throat> about the rabbis, because see, the rabbis of Israel they would read these things and they would go, what? "What? What? What's what's going on here?" Because of course God is not capricious. God doesn't isn't isn't wouldn't say one minute go and the next minute say get angry with them. and it's because it's going to get ugly with this angel of the Lord. So here's here's the rabbi's conclusion. Their conclusion is that the Hebrew in verse 20 should be read such that we grasp that God is giving Balaam permission to do what Balaam wants. So it would read something like this: Since these men have come to summon you, if you wish, go with them. But do only what I tell you. They called it. Um, what did the rabbis call it? It's a moment of freedom of the will, and uh, that'll do. A moment of freedom of the will. That's what the that's what the verse is. It is it is opening up for Balaam the opportunity to make a choice. To make a choice. And God is angry then because Balaam makes the wrong choice. Now, I don't know. I don't read Hebrew. I don't know how many hoops you have to jump through to read the Hebrew here as something like, in verse 20, since these men have come to summon you, if you wish, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Maybe it's a short leap to do that. Don't know. Not really. But I do know what the what, how, the rabbi's conclusion about this moment. Because it is a very odd moment. Because just on the surface in the English translation it looks like Balaam does what God says and then gets is going to get slapped down for it. So maybe it, I'll go with the rabbi's. Because God does give us the freedom to make choices. Mm-hmm. Why does God give us the freedom to make choices? Because God wants us to love God. And to love God, we have to have the freedom to not love God. Or it's not really love. True love is a love that could be given and a love that can be, uh, could be withheld. If it can't be withheld, it isn't true love. It, is, it isn't the love that we want. Our puppies, our two-year-olds... They're going to love us, but they don't really have the capacity to make a free and willing choice for the person that they love. But that's what God wants. Of course that's what God wants. It's what we all want in our lives. I want Patty to make a free and willing choice to love me. And um, I'm blessed that she does. But I do know it doesn't have to be this way. So Now Balaam has left, and he's left with the Moabite officials, and he's now just kind of sauntering down the roadway, and he encounters the angel of the Lord, who's standing in the road, To oppose him. Now, don't assume that you know what Balaam can see and not see at this point. We're going to have to pick that up next week. So let me just tell you, this angel of the Lord is a really... (sighs) Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord, quote, quote, appears really pretty numerous times, particularly in the Old Testament. And the way the angel of the Lord is referred to and is that it's very, very hard to tell the angel of the Lord from God. They're just almost bound up together. Um, look at, turn to Exodus 3, real quick. We'll just do this real quick, okay? Promise. Oh, I need Exodus. I need chapter 3, verse 1. We always talk about Moses meeting God at the burning bush. Is that true, Patty? I think it generally is. Yes. That's our because look what happens. So, chapter three, verse one. Moses see this bush. You know, um, he says, "Chap, look at verse two. There, the angel of the Lord." Again, quote, quote, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the fire was, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Right? Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And... It is the angel of the Lord who appears to Moses in the flame. It is God who calls him over. They're just all wrapped up there together. Which means what, really? That when you meet the angel of the Lord, it is a significant moment. He's as direct a mouthpiece for God as there can be. That's what the angel of the Lord is. And so when Balaam now riding back to Moab on his little donkey, well, the angel of the Lord has now appeared in the roadway to stop him. So when we come back next week, we're going to find out what happens and who knows what's going on. What does the angel do? What does Balaam know? And what does the donkey know? It's a pretty pretty famous story. Bigger than I know it's popular with in, you know, third grade Sunday school, but it's a it's a bigger story than that. So we will come back to that next week. Balaam and his donkey. And Patty's coming around. She's the angel Walking of the around. Lord
0: appears 64 times.
1: 64.
0: 60, uh, 53 times as the angel of the Lord. Yes. And then 11 more times where it's talking about angel of the Lord, but not in the definitive the angel. Not
1: without the article at the and beginning. And never,
0: ever, ever is it anything but singular. It's never angels of the Lord. It's always There's one always, singular. There seems to be this
1: one... This one angel who was the angel of the Lord.
0: Yes. Singular, singular. Anyway. Okay.
1: Okay. Wild. Wild. See, all this stuff in the book of Numbers, huh? Yes. Bronze snakes. Yes. Donkeys. Balaam. Balaam,
0: yes. And the rest. And um, I do want to thank the Hesses. They pointed out something to me that it says online that the speaker holly stevens is not coming till 11 30 i couldn't look it up while i was that's talking, not correct is it i no no so i'm as <laughs> no, I mean. soon as i can get you know get, get on my computer to look that up i will definitely be doing that and making sure it's supposed to be that um on the 15th it's a thursday uh gathering time around 10 o'clock holly will actually speak at 10 30 not sure exactly the length of her program, but when she's through, it'll probably be eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. Lunch will then be served in Parole Hall. So I am sorry, I'm. Going Are you to going to be there, Patty? Out. Of course, I am. I'm going
1: to be there. Good. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't miss her. She's really. Yeah, she was
1: real good in the history of Dallas. This will be interesting.
0: It will be. It will. Very be. Very much. So I'm so glad you guys were all with us today. Hope you can go outside for a few minutes like I'm going to do right now to get my <laughs> vitamin D. I haven't had any. And um hoping to see some of you tomorrow in person and online as we make our way through Acts. And if you have not started Acts with us, tomorrow we start Acts chapter 2 verse 1. So all you need to do is go back and read Acts 1. Yeah. That's it. So you're you're not miss, you haven't missed out much of anything yet. So please, please pray with me, Scott. And okay. dear God, we thank you so much, truly, for this beautiful, beautiful day today. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the rain when we have it. We know we need it, but it is so wonderful in January to have such a beautiful day. And we know that we have a few of them this week, and we are really truly grateful, Lord. Uh, we need to remember to thank you every day, God, for that day that you know, because we're not guaranteed anything. So we are grateful, Lord. We pray, God, that you would continue to walk with us, God, as we make our way through this book of Numbers, a book that is um, just filled with interesting stories and and just gives us a greater depth, God, of your love for us and your never-failing love for us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, hold this group together. Please keep us healthy and keep us safe, God, in the coming week. And we always pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives. All this we pray today in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Adios, everybody.
0: Bye, guys. See you tomorrow.